You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Like I mentioned before, every time we, you know, we turn another corner or find another zone, uh, there's there's high grade to, to scream from the rooftops. And this was another example of how uh, we really are uh, I hate this analogy, but scratching the surface on this project. Because we're on the address of some of those monster deposits like Tokopala or mines next to Kiev Echo, um, it really comes down to footprint. What kind of footprint can you identify as you are drilling? And two things about our footprint, which you've all seen, is the, the fertile nature of it. The grade is, is outstanding. There's bonanza grade everywhere. Um, we really don't know if we're in the best spot with the first three holes or in, in peripheral to something better, but that's the, the perfect problem to have when you're drilling something. So to answer your question, what the geologists think, they think they've got it in, in many ways, shape or form, but they just don't know what they have yet until they get the assays back. Thanks for tuning in to Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers. And in today's show, we're gonna be getting an update from Tier 1 Silver. If you've been following this show, you know that they're engaged in a core drilling program at their Curabaya project in Peru. Uh, the surface samples have showed multi-kilo high-grade silver, and now the company is testing and verifying what is underneath. So the drills are turning, but in the meantime, there's been some more sampling. So Peter, Ivan, welcome back to the show. Peter, if you could give us an update, you've been down there. So what is the vibe like at site and what can you tell us from your experience just getting back from Peru? Yeah, thanks for having me, Bill. Uh, it was a mind-blowing uh, site to behold, you know, going down to Lima, heading down to Tacna, making the hour and a half drive out of Tacna into the into the drill site in the camp. It was, uh, it was just the scale um, uh, and the vastness was just in incredible to behold, you know, in person, finally having boots on the ground uh, as you know, I started with with Tier One on January first, so this is my first opportunity to really get in there and and what the company has done, what the operations have done on the ground down there is is just incredible. From the quality of the camp to uh, you know uh, being able to get the the drill rig up to to certain locations, it's just it's it's been it's been amazing. And I think you know talking to the geologists on the ground. Uh, it, it really does seem like they're a bunch of kids in a, in a toy store. They really don't know. Like, it's just, what aisle do we go down? Cause every aisle we go down is, is something, is something greater than before. And so, uh, their eyes are all like saucers. They're, they're, they're in, incredibly excited. And, uh, at every turn, it seems like, um, you know, there's more opportunity. So it's, it was a really special trip. Um, and really to get a sense of, of, you know, what what could happen if if something bigger were to happen with with Curibaya? down the road if this turns into a mine you really got to look at all the infrastructure in place how easy is it to get to uh the elevation is is low to sea level so there were all the boxes that we spoke of uh, i finally got a chance to live and and to really check off all the boxes and say this is a really accessible it's in a great area with a huge support from the local community so it was it was a real treat for me how did you access it as the CEO when you went out there? What form got you up there? So when you leave Tacna, which is the city of about 300,000 people, um, you take about a 45-minute, 50-minute drive down the Pan-American Highway, which is a, an incredibly 
well, high quality highway, um, better than some we see in Canada for sure. Uh, and then you take your exit off into the foothills of the Andes and leading up to Curabaya, another 50 meters, 50 minute drive. Uh, but probably one of the most impressive, impressive things is um, uh, the road construction that we built to get into the site. You know, we've, we've done over about 45 to 50 kilometers of road heading up to the campsite and into the drill area. So very impressive uh, and, and, to be able to be that remote and and how easily we got there by by a pickup truck um, uh, was really great to see. And the elevation was about three thousand feet, if I recall. Is that right? One to three thousand. Yeah, you're testing my uh, metric versus imperial, but about fourteen hundred meters, so uh, just under what you would experience uh, in Denver. So really, as Joel just put it, there is no elevation as. As far as me climbing up a ridge, uh, I was huffing and puffing a bit, but that could be my own fitness. <laughs> but uh, it was uh, it, it was it was very easily done. You don't have to do any sort of uh, altitude, uh, you know, training to get up to site at all. And uh, yeah, it's it's beautiful. The climate was was perfect. You know, as far as Celsius concerned, mid twenties Fahrenheit's probably mid seventies. Uh, you got to be careful of that sun in South America because it can it can be really really strong with the lack of. Uh, protection out there, but uh, great, great conditions all around for, to be working in. So Peter, as you know, everybody is anticipating the, the core results, the initial core results. But in the meantime, last week, you put out some more surface sample results. Talk us through this. What's the significance and how does this relate into your drilling thesis that you're operating with right now? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, like I mentioned before, every time we, you know, we turn another corner or find another zone, uh, there's there's high grade to, to scream from the rooftops. And this was another example of how uh, we really are, uh, I hate this analogy, but scratching the surface on this project. You look at our presentation, how we're, you know, really focused on one, one third of, of Kuribaya. Uh, and uh, that third just is just expanding and expanding and, and getting bigger and, and greater. So this was just uh, another testament to to the high grade, and we got to follow the grade. At the end of the day, uh, we're not going to follow our narrative because we want it to happen, and the grade isn't there. You know, we're, we're chasing after it, and uh, so it's another example of of uh, another zone to extend to. And you know, as as we see more and more of this, you're going to see the the plan expanding as well. So it's. Uh, very intriguing to see and, uh, and being down there on site uh, to, to see it all in person was, 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 you know, second to none. When we spoke about two months ago, we were kind of expecting drill results by now, but we're still waiting. So can you give us an update on timing, please? Sure thing. So, you know, we're, we're at the mercy of the labs, of course, and they've seen a, a huge influx of, of, um, of samples and, and, and cores that they're analyzing. So, uh, again, I'm not going to give dates because I've uh, we've been through this and we were leading up to listing and it doesn't serve us too well when when we have estimated times of arrival. But uh, you know we're we're hoping over the next few weeks we we get our first results back from hole number one. We're through hole one. We're through hole two. We are uh, you know I would say 100 or so meters into hole number three already. So we're going to have steady news flow coming out as the labs start churning out our results. So we're waiting on the assay labs, but has there been anything logistically that has slowed you down drilling that you weren't expecting? You know what? Just the 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 quality of the of the rock. We, you know, again, this is something that's never before been drilled, so we never really had an indication of what we're going to run into. We can do all the the geophysics and the mapping that we can, uh, but until that drill hits the ground and the rock, we learn more about each zone as we pass through it, as we go further and further 
down underground. And uh, so the, the biggest thing for us was our access to water. And, you know, when you hit certain formations underground, sometimes you lose water, sometimes you're able to recirculate it. Uh, so that's that's got to be the biggest learning curve and the biggest one that we've run into. Um, but uh, it's been it's it's getting better and we're becoming more efficient with every meter that we're drilling. And that's going to continue. And that's important for us, right, to keep costs down and, and to keep everything efficient. And, you know, we got to for shareholders sake, we need to keep the news flow coming and, and have the results coming as well. Ivan, I know from talking to you both on recording and off recording that you're in close contact with all your geologists in Friedland-esque fashion. Can you give us a sense of what you're getting from your geologists and what are you seeing technically right now? Even though you don't have the core back, what more update can you give us? Sure. Is, uh, I mean, it's, Peter has done a great job of the most important word that he mentioned in his visit to the site is the scale, the vast size of it, right? And, you know, having seen a lot of discoveries over time back in Keegan's, we were three and a half kilometers of strike length and the deposit ended up being five million ounces. And you could do the early math. In the case here, because we're on the address of some of those monster deposits like Tokopala or mines next to Kiev Echo, um, it really comes down to footprint. What kind of footprint can you identify as you are drilling? And two things about our footprint, which you've all seen, is the, the fertile nature of it. The grade is, is outstanding. There's bonanza grade everywhere. Um, we really don't know if we're in the best spot with the first three holes or in, in peripheral to something better, but that's the, the perfect problem to have when you're drilling something. So to answer your question, what the geologists think, they think they've got it in, in many ways, shape or form, but they just don't know what they have yet until they get the assays back. Um, we expect two types of results from the first few holes and either we're going to get bonanza grade all over the place or we're going to get some smoke that tells us we're right next to bonanza grade or we're going to get both. Um, there's There are three things. There, there's some factors there we don't know, but the rock looks good enough in the drill hole to for us to speculate and be excited, no question. Um, on the actual scale footprint, you know, we just put out those channel sample results, which is the closest thing we could actually do to a trench here. A lot of the system is not daylighting on surface, thin veins are, but when you drill down, we obviously are, we're seeing more than just a few thin narrow veins, we're seeing a lot more, but seeing channels of a couple meters of six kilo silver, I mean, there's very few places in the world that you see that, and that would become in drill holes, something we'd consider a bonanza zone or bonanza section if we drill that. Um, I think what what to really get excited about from us here in the next you know month or so or a few weeks, you're going to see this footprint get bigger again, and uh, it's it's really pushing that world class world class scale and it's fertile throughout. So. I just think that my eyes have definitely gotten bigger from when we started. All of the geologists have a level of confidence that's really high. We think we're, you know, going to see silver and gold and plus some other metals in the core of what we drilled. We'll obviously see some base metals. It would not be uncommon not to see those. But, you know, I can tell you right now, our theme internally is we'd like to add more drills to kind of speed up the possibility for news in other companies I'm involved in. The only way to really mitigate your slow assay labs has been by adding drills, which is a catch-22 because you want to do it on the back of some big holes and price movement and a proper funding. I think Peter and the team... And also the knowledge you get from the holes too, right, Ivan? Well, the, the knowledge is, is paramount. I think the knowledge is going to be be a good insight to what. But you know, I've said to a lot of people before we went out on Curry Bio that 
one hole to make it and a lot of holes to kill it. Um, one hole to start it is probably more accurate because one hole, no matter how good this hole is or isn't, it will not determine the proper scale of what's here. It's going to take a lot more drilling if it's there for us and all our geologists to turn to the market and say, hey, it's it's this big or it's that big, you know, and, and that's a good problem to have when you get on any project and you see the kind of grade we're seeing. Um, one last thing there from my end is just Peter and the team have really done a lot of forward looking on, you know, getting additional permits to drill more holes and expand the footprint of our drill. Like they're really forward looking with this project and we will be actionary once we get that first result and we will make decisions that imply what our confidence is like. But so far, you know, yes, it's a really good shot. It's gotten better. The assay lab delay is is it's the theme of this industry. It really has to do with how it has impacted assay labs. First off, they laid off a lot of people because they didn't know if people would be drilling and they have to protect their businesses. Second of all, when they restaff their labs, then they have a lot new protocol. You know, if you ask Peter about how many safety precautions and trainings he goes to just to get to our site, there's several layers of safety that's brought in, not just physical safety. So in, an, in a controlled environment like an assay lab with people that are interacting with crushing cores and doing that, there's they're also being faced by this thing. And what we have done that surprised all assay labs as mining exploration companies, we've gone out there and flooded the labs with results. We're pumping out the results or, or the rocks to be sampled. So, you know, it's tough to wait, Bill. And like Peter, I don't want to give dates uh, sooner than later. Um, if you start getting into really high grade, there's different metrics that you do. You have to rerun your results, which takes more time. I'm not saying we're doing that yet. I won't comment if we are doing that. All I'm going to say is that we hope to have results you know, at the end of this month. And uh, if it takes a bit longer, it's nothing to be worried about, concerned about, and just be excited that hole three will be drilled and in the lab, you know, probably by the end of the month and we'll be on hole four. And so to Peter's point earlier, we're going to have a pipeline of news to come. And when you look at high grade, like six, nine kilo silver as we're announcing or 10 or 20 or 300 kilo silver on surface, you're going to hit that in some places and you might miss it entirely in others. But you have to think holistically. And the way to do that is to think, well, okay, wait a minute. There's high grade here. How how, how big is the area that could host a high grade? So look forward to more news from us on, on that footprint getting bigger. And just be excited about so many different areas that could really deliver that, that grade. And, you know, we've advertised this to be a world beater, that this could really be it. And it definitely has gone in that direction since the last time we've said that, you know, in terms of what we're seeing from surface. So geologists are really pumped. We're really pumped, we're really excited, and uh, can't wait to, to get those first assays out so we can put some reality here. And, I, and I'm ready for both ends of the spectrum, uh, smoke or, or, or the big hit, and we'll see what happens, but it's exciting. And Ivan, you said it needs about 30 holes to really test this thesis, is that right? If you, Well, you know what, um, you know, because the footprint's getting bigger than our drill area. Via sampling, gonna, is that how it's getting bigger, via sampling? Correct. Well, they identify, if you look at our last press release, we talked about this big outcropping area of, of veins. We found about 80 meters of outcropping veins on surface. That's the biggest width of veins we've seen in outcrop. Waiting for those are the next results to come out is do they run or not? So we think they do because they look like the other veins we've been sampling, but that's going to expand that footprint more. And all I just want to say on that note is that you know, that that if the polygon is like this for a big discovery and you have so much grade on it and you have to increase your drill polygon to that, 
it's going to take a lot of holes. We will be drilling this for a long time before we know how big this project really is. And that is an absolute dream as an investor to be part of something like that. You know, if it's there, how big can it be? The longer that takes to answer, the bigger it's going to be. So just remember those words. Those are very important. Peter, uh, how many drill permits do you have as you progress with more drills? Is it like 30 or 40 drill permits you already have approved? We have one drill permit that's called an FTA that allows us to um, have 20 drill pads and you're allowed to have two drills per pad. So 40, 40 holes and, you know, working in the background to, to see what it's going to take to increase that. If we, you know, expand our property, expand the drill program, of course, we're, we're always looking at to see, you know, what's available to us. So that's what we have right now, which gives us a, a great spot and a great amount of learning holes, I would say. And uh, we're going to, we're going to learn a ton in the next uh, over six or seven holes. We're going to have a great idea of this first section of, of, of what we have or don't have or, or how great it is. So um, it's, it's a great spot to be in for right now. Ivan, a question came in from a listener since we last spoke and it deals with uh, assuming you have geological success with Kuribaya, you also have several other, other silver projects. Can you talk a little bit about your philosophy of how you plan to monetize this project, but perhaps not sell the whole company? Uh, it's, it's a great question. And, you know, it comes down to what we did with Oren, right? We had three different key assets in one company. We weren't getting paid for all three. And so we separated it. We built out teams. We found incredible people to drive these forward. So when we look at our model as explorers, you know, we kind of really, we're not trying to do something new than what somebody legendary has done in front of us being Ross Beattie. And I have all the respect for him in the world with his Lumina Copper days. And he delivered four or five sales out of one company. And I think in the case of tier one silver, you know, we're going to see, you're going to see a sequence of assets that we're going to try to keep and sell again and again. So if we can take one share of yours and sell it three or four times, then we've really hit it out of the park. And that's a very shareholder minded kind of a thought process or business plan. Now, what we're not going to do with Curry Baya or with tier one is we're not going to split the company or spin out two of the assets into their own entities and try to find new management teams. We're at capacity there. We're managing it just fine, but we'd rather spin out and sell these assets one at a time. So you get a dividend per sale. And, and that's the avenue we would take if more of these assets really, really come together for us. And you know what I think you're also going to hear about, and, and I'm sure Peter has some, some views on it too, is Hurricane Silver was the backup silver asset to Curry Baya before we knew 80% of what we know about Curry Baya today. And it is flagship worthy on the silver side. It is a very underexplored, very robust district, plus kilo silver. It has 14 meter wide veins or roughly about 100 grams silver. Those are widths to go with some high grade. And it's a project that would carry tier one's excitement the way Curry Baya is just by itself. We need some work on it to get there, to go and do that. But I believe we're getting access here shortly, Peter, to uh, to go do that. And so I think you're going to see a very, very you know significant silver portfolio from us. And you're going to see a potential pipeline of where we might be able to dividend more than one sale in the company. And that would be the strategy here. Uh, capital is really strong. Our treasury is still you know, closer to $11 million. So we're spending at a very good rate to give ourselves a ton of optionality, a ton of results, and a lot of performance before we do the next funding. And that includes getting Hurricane Silver, you know, down the road towards that drill ready stage on, on the backside and as well as Emilia and uh, the coastal Bathus. So 
we're in a really, really strong position with this company. And uh, I know the markets are volatile. We've all seen, and, and as I've tweeted today, I, I love to see volatile volatility before a big gold move. I haven't declared up or down for the precious metals, but I think we're overdue for a really good bounce in the metals. And you know, I think what's more important, and this totally relates right to tier one, is this industry needs big discoveries. It doesn't have them from a supply and demand growth perspective. And we've put ourselves at the front of the list on the precious metal side, predominantly silver, to go answer that big question. But when there hasn't been big discoveries in a long time, industry's hungry, you get way better premiums if you have it. And you weather really you know, tough volatility if you, if you, until you get there. So it's been really exciting. Can't wait for the results here in the next coming weeks. And, uh, and that's where we sit from a, from a corporate perspective. Excellent. Well, we'll call that an interview. Peter Dembicki, President and CEO, thank you for joining me. Ivan Bebek, the chair, thank you for joining me. Tier One Silver, website is tier1silver.com, trades as TSLV in Canada and TSLVF in the States. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. And don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.